Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, January the 22nd, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. I'm joined today by Pat Leahy, our political editor. Pat, it's great to see you. It's amazeballs to see you too, Hugh. Good to see you're in such good form. Uh, not as good as me, because I have a week's holiday next next week. God knows where I'm going to go. <laughs> going, going anywhere nice. Uh, I may I, I may make it to Kulak if the weather's good. But that's neither here nor there. We wanted to get you on to talk, I, I suppose, more broadly perhaps about where the government's at, but more specifically about a story which you in, went into in some detail this week. It's a story which goes back uh, a few months and in fact actually a, a year or two. Ultimately, uh, our listeners will remember it from, from the autumn when Leo Varadkar got himself into a spot of bother. I think it's been an uncomfortable week for uh, Leo Varadkar, to be honest. Um, uh, he was forced to answer questions uh, again in the doll about something that he may have thought that he had put behind him. Um, I think most of our listeners will be familiar with the story that was broken first by Village magazine last November and taken up by all other media outlets and which subsequently led to an apology in the doll by Leo Varadkar, um, which people may recall. It, the potted version is in April, uh, early April of 2019, when of course he was still Taoiseach. And just as negotiations were concluding between the IMO and the government on a new contract or an amended contract for, uh, for GPs, which is important for all sorts of reasons, but these negotiations have been ongoing for a while. Mr. Varadkar, uh, after the talks had largely concluded, but before the documents were ultimately finalised and before all the I's were dotted and T's crossed and before the document was formally published by either government or the IMO and while the IMO was still involved in a consultation process with its own members, uh, Leo Varadkar leaked a a copy of the agreement to uh, a friend of his, uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toole, who was the head of a rival GP's organisation, uh, at the time. And people may recall there was the exchange of highly entertaining text messages between Dr. O'Toole and a friend of his, Shea Bowes, uh, with whom he was contemplating going into a number of health-related businesses with, and uh, and to whom Dr. O'Toole was effectively boasting of his closeness to Leo Varadkar and other members of the government, though particularly Leo Varadkar. And he used the leak of the document as, uh, as evidence, I suppose, of his closeness to, uh, to Leo Varadkar. So what happened uh, this week? For Mr. Varadkar defended himself robustly in the, uh, the doll in November, and he was supported by all his government colleagues in doing so. And essentially, his 
defence. He accepted he was wrong to leak the document. He said he shouldn't have done it. Uh, but he said that, I suppose, effectively, it wasn't a, a very serious leak of very confidential document because many of the details, or most or all, I think he said, of the details had been previously in the public domain where the document hadn't been published, the, de- the more important detail that was in it had, uh, had been. So the story we published during the week on the back of uh, a freedom of information request which had been put in by Pierce Doherty, the Sinn Féin finance spokesman, in which we had seen the freedom of information request requesting details of internal Department of Health emails. So what those emails showed, inter alia, as they say, was that the health minister, Simon Harris, was looking for a copy of this document, albeit a later draft of the document, and being told by his own officials in the Department of Health that, no, 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 it wasn't finished. This was too sensitive uh, to consider publication of the IMO was still involved in its internal uh, deliberations on the uh, draft agreement. Publication would be extremely damaging to that process and further details were to be ironed out with the IMO and the department. With at one stage the senior officials refusing a request from the minister's advisor to supply him with the document, albeit that they eventually did. The significance of this, Hugh, uh, and I know it's a very long-winded uh, answer, but the, uh, the significance of this, I think, is that it undermines Mr. Varadkar's defence in the Dáil last November when he said, look, at this was all out anyway. It wasn't that important. It wasn't going to change. And, uh, and effectively... Uh, you know, it was a leak of something that everybody knew about already. And I think that these emails, I think they undermine that explanation somewhat. To the extent that he could be accused by the opposition of misleading the Dole last November? Well, he was certainly accused of that. As to whether or not it's uh, it, it's true or not, I, I suspect readers or listeners will make up their own minds on that. But what I think it is fair to say is that if the version of events and the interpretation on them that Mr. Varadkar supplied is correct, then it means that the officials in the Department of Health at the time were wrong to be so protective of this document. They were wrong to say that the minister couldn't have it, that publication... Uh, publication would be very dangerous uh, to the prospects of the IMO approving uh, the new contract. They were wrong to tell their own minister that he couldn't have it, and they were wrong to say that uh, uh, that very that that significant details remained to be ironed out. And Simon Harris, then Minister for Health, was wrong to be looking for an updated version of that document because he could simply have satisfied himself with the earlier version uh, of the document. And Matt O'Toole was wrong to get so excited about the leaking of this document by Mr Varadkar, because if all the important details were already in the public domain, then what was the big fuss about? Now, it is possible that they are 
all wrong or they were wrong at the time. And Mr. Varadkar is right now. But I think, uh, I think certainly the publication of these contemporaneous records uh, makes Mr. Varadkar's version of events and his interpretation of events, perhaps more importantly, a little less likely than we might have thought last November. Now, the, the political reality, though, is, isn't it, that the reason why Leo Varadkar got off with really, I suppose, a sort of a mild ticking off last November was, number one, because he had this sort of an excuse that it wasn't really as important as some suggested to have leaked this, and number two, because nobody on his side of the aisle wanted to make a bigger fuss about it. The last thing they wanted was this to blow up into a bigger scandal that would imperil the government. Yeah, I think both those things are right. And they are, of course, related. You know, Mr. Varadkar had a defensible position, as it were. He had a coherent account of events. He had an explanation that explained the observed phenomena. And uh, and that all hung together. Albeit now that this week he's had to uh, to tweak that explanation uh, in some small, uh, some small respects. Um, uh, but nobody wanted, nobody within government wanted, within his own party or within the broader government, wanted to see Mr. Varadkar, say, forced to resign for this. And I don't think that people at the time thought that that was likely to happen. Um, and once that wasn't likely to happen, then I think you saw the, I mean, to an extent, it's a sort of circular logic, but you saw people in government, uh, you know, circling the wagons around Mr. Varadkar. Uh, so, uh, you know, would the outcome of the controversy in November have been different had we known then what we learned this week? I don't think so, frankly, but I do think it would have been uh, a harder sell for Mr. Varadkar at the time, had we known uh, about these emails now. Now, Pat, not surprisingly this week, uh, uh, you report uh, in the Irish Times today, I think, uh, a spokesperson for for Leo Varadkar essentially, you know, pouring cold water over all this, saying, you know, this was all dealt with back in November. It's a small story. It's not of any great interest to the people. There are far more important things for the government to be getting on with. Um, He's likely to kind of get away with that position, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you if you're asking me, does this pose difficulties for Mr. Varadkar's continuation in office? Is there likely to be motions in the doll about it? No, I I don't think that is likely. Sinn Féin's Pierce Darty raised it yesterday at leaders' questions in the doll. I would be surprised if this runs into next week. But I think it has been, as I said at the beginning, an uncomfortable week for Mr. Varadkar. This has reminded a lot of people, both in his own camp and in rival camps, of a a very difficult period, perhaps the worst period for Leo Varadkar uh, since, uh, certainly since he attained cabinet office, you know, since since he became a prominent politician, I think, uh, last, last November, this controversy last November was, this has reheated it somewhat. It has reminded people of it and it has reminded people in his own party of the questions about his judgment that they were talking about last November. There are two aspects of this uh, controversy, however, which have yet to 
conclude and which may come back to haunt Mr. Varadkar. One is a complaint to the Standards and Public Office Commission, which has yet to be concluded. And the other is a complaint to the guards about it, which investigation uh, has uh, has yet to be concluded. Now, you know, will we see Mr. Varadkar interviewed by the guards, interviewed uh, by the Standards Commission? I simply don't know. We don't know uh, you know, what sort of judgment they are going to make on whether this complaint should be, you know, fully, fully investigated or whether it's a vexatious complaint, given what has happened uh, in the Dáil last November. But those, but conclusion of those two avenues, if you like, is still, uh, is still outstanding, you know. So, uh, I, you know, I think, I think Mr. Varadkar will await those two, uh, those two avenues being concluded before, uh, you know, he can rest easy and uh, and be satisfied that he is completely in the clear on this. But I should, you know, I should stress there is no appetite in the government to reopen this and uh, and make an issue of it right now. Yeah, and his party still seems to continue to stand for four square behind him. Although, as you say, it was the most damaging political event of his of his career uh, since he entered government uh, several years ago. And I think think I recall you saying at the time that you know that that it might have ramifications into the future, although not in the immediate future. And I do wonder about Leo Varadkar's position and performance in the in the current government, partly because of this, and also because. I suppose he has probably been the foremost, if not a, a, a sceptical questioner of the medical advice from Neffet, for example. And there has clearly been uh, some considerable turbulence, political turbulence over the relationship between that advice and events as they've unfurled around COVID-19 over the last month or so. Does, does that do him any damage at all? Does that register on the political radar? Well, it's not a... You know, it's not a plus for him. I think. I mean, he was the 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 most uh, public questioner of Neffed's advice back in the autumn, and people won't have uh, forgotten that. And even though, uh, you know, even though he was saying out loud what an awful lot of people in government were saying privately at the time, um, you know, I think he is likely to be associated in the uh, in the public mind with that with that position in government, which now, in the light of events in December and January, looks to be an unwise position. Though uh, I, know, I think it is only fair, really, to judge it by the context uh, at the time. I think the other thing that people in Fine Gael tend to mutter about Sato Voce perhaps is the fact that Fine Gael's performance in the last general election, the first general election that Mr. Varadkar led them into, um, was pretty lamentable. The party had a disastrous general election. Now, because of the pandemic, because the government, the caretaker government that he led between February and June was seen by the public as ha- as having handled the first wave of the pandemic extremely well. Uh, I think, uh, and because Fine Gael ended up in government for a second term, for a third consecutive term, uh, at the conclusion of that, uh, of that caretaker government, I think that, you know, in a way, Mr. Varadkar has... 
escaped the sort of post-mortem that he might have been subjected to about his performance in the general election campaign and his party's performance under his leadership in the general election campaign that he would otherwise have faced had there been no pandemic and Fine Gael, you know, joined a new government or gone into opposition back in late February or in March. Um, so I think there are some people in, uh, in Fine Gael who, you know, might still be conscious that that conversation hasn't uh, hasn't really taken place. Um, in summary, I think that Mr. Varadkar, as a result of that election campaign and as a result of that controversy last November over this leak, I think there are people in his own party that question his own judgment in a way that they didn't a year ago. And what the outworkings of that are, hard to say now, but I think it is now a fact of his political existence and a fact of his leadership of his party in the way that wasn't previously. Can I ask you then um, more broadly about your view of the position of the government now? I recall back in the summer when the, the clown car phase of this government was in, was in full train and they were losing ministers uh, left and right, um, that uh, I think you cautioned that, you know, that the approach to the budget might bring greater stability and cohesion to the government. And that did prove to be the case and certain key objectives, particularly getting schools back open again, were achieved. Uh, again, things have been thrown rather up in the air by the the, the huge third wave of COVID, which we're, which we're in at the moment. The schools are now closed. There are really difficult questions about when and how and which schools will open will open first. Um, does that have implications for the government itself as well as the, the tasks which it faces, particularly since all the tough jobs, uh, as we've remarked before, seem to be uh, handled by Fianna Fáil ministers? Well, it, it, it certainly has uh, implications for the future of the government. My own view is that uh, if the hospitals were to be overrun, ICUs, you know, reach far beyond even their surge capacity, death rates, you know, because of that rocket, then that would be enormously damaging, perhaps terminally so for the government. Um, I think it would be unwise, you know, to make any, uh, you know, to make any sweeping generalizations about the position or the stage of the pandemic at the moment. But it does seem that 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 question of whether the hospitals and ICUs and so forth are completely overwhelmed, uh, that seems less likely now than, uh, than it did maybe a fortnight ago. Now, you know, people don't need me to tell them uh, about the death rates that are coming in every day and the continuing rates of infection and so forth. But the sense that one gets from both health authorities and political sources is that the terror of a couple of weeks ago that the health system was about to be overwhelmed has abated a little bit. And while the conditions in hospitals are enormously challenging, more so than they have ever been, that doomsday scenario uh, is a bit less likely now uh, than, as I say, than it was a fortnight ago. So let's roll the tape on a bit and say that 
the the third wave that we're in now doesn't completely overwhelm the hospitals and you know in a month's time two months time you're looking at a reopening the vaccine program is uh, is is making its way through the population yeah, i think luke o'neill uh, from trinity has pointed out that by the end of march given the current uh, projections for the rollout of the vaccine, that the risk of mortality will have diminished by 90 or 95%. If you get to that stage, then, you know, I think that the government can begin to anticipate that there will come a time later this year when the pandemic is behind it. I think it is then that the government will be faced with the resumption of normal politics and the need to define its priorities and achieve progress on those priorities in terms of health service and housing and uh, and so forth that I talked about when it was set up. That would be enormously challenging for the government and it will be a challenge to the political cohesion of this government, which has improved since those days of last summer, but is nowhere near the state of having a clear, unified sense of purpose and mission uh, about it that a government needs to have to be uh, successful. So uh, I think for the moment, I think everything in politics is about the management of the pandemic. If the government comes through that intact, albeit damaged, um, then I think politics becomes uh, about other things. But for the time being, uh, everything is uh, everything is COVID-related. Right. That's work in progress, like everything. We shall leave it there anyway for today. Thanks very much indeed, Pat, for, for joining us. Thanks also to our producer, Suzanne Brennan, and to JJ Vernon, our engineer. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd be delighted to hear from you. Just mail us at politicspodcast.irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening.